Okay, I need a couple of judges. So Brad Crow, would you come up here? And my wife, Marie, would you come on up? Yeah, no, don't shake your head, Marie. Okay, come on up. And you're just going to judge us. Now, raise your hand if you're 30 years old or younger. Raise your hand if you're 30 years old. It's, it's great to have both of you here. So we're 30 years old and younger. So you're the only ones that can participate in this exercise, okay? We're going to play a snippet, a soundbite. And as soon as you know who made this famous, raise your hand. Okay, you got it? So first of all, raise your hand, 30 years old and younger. Raise your hand. I got to get that right. Okay, so when you hear the soundbite, as soon as you know who made it famous, get your hand up. Are you ready for the soundbite? One, two, three, listen. It's Bon Jovi. Thanks for the memory of sentimental verse. <laughs> no one yet. Nothing in my purse. Anyone? And when the preacher said, well, five more seconds. Anyone? Anyone? All right, turn it off. <laughs> we did this last night in Bedford. I'm like, they, they didn't get it. I'm like, oh, Westside. They're so going to get it. We're, we're pathetic. Okay, so for all of you older than 30 years old, that is Bob Hope. Okay, you guys, let's give the judges a big hand at least. Wow, that's kind of scary. So when you get home... Don't do it during the sermon. Google Bob Hope, okay? He's kind of a cool guy. He died at the age of 100. Uh, he was born on my birthday, or I should say I was born on Bob Hope's birthday, um, which is May 29th. But I want to just share a little bit about his life because it's pretty amazing. Bob Hope, what he's most famous for are the USO trips. He would go overseas, and even when I was a kid, uh, I remember uh, during the Vietnam War watching over Christmas the Bob Hope special. How many have watched at least one Bob Hope special? Good. There's hope. There's Bob Hope. Okay. So here's what's amazing. He had 57 tours that he took between 1941 and 1991. They estimate uh, that it wasn't in the thousands, probably the millions that he actually performed in front of, and that doesn't include the TV audience. What's even more remarkable is they ask him, was there one particular show that stands out? And he said, there really was one show that changed my life. He said, we had just got done uh, playing a show in the South Pacific. I got a phone call and they said, Mr. Hope, and the name of the, the area in South Pacific uh, was Benica. Could you fly into Benica? And there's not even a landing strip. So we're gonna bring in pipers. We can only bring one at a time but it's for a group of Marines, and they're getting ready to go into an invasion situation, and it's, gonna be, it's just going to be a bad situation. And so he said he flew in first, and he said he started watching these little pipers coming in and these Marines just erupting every time a piper would land on this little island. 15,000 Marines came to the show. And on the way out, uh, one of the uh, leaders leaned over and said, Mr. Hope, the sad thing is, within a week, many of these men are going to die. So you have no idea what this means to them. And sure enough, within a week, Bob Hope got news that 60% of all the men there died in that invasion. He said, I realized that what I was bringing was not a show. 
for two hours, I was bringing a glimmer of hope. I think that's what the church is all about. Every Sunday morning, there are people who come in here, and you know what they need more than anything else? They need to know there's hope. Some of you have had Sundays just like that where you've gone to church, and all you need to hear is that God genuinely loves you and that there is hope. And that's what we want to talk about today, that hope. Joseph Addison said this, they say that a person just needs three things to be truly happy in this world. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. So we're going to get into the next five weeks, the book of 1 Peter. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Peter right now. If you don't have your scriptures with you this morning, that's okay. We're going to bring up the scriptures up on the screen, but we're going to be for the next five weeks getting into 1 Peter. It's important if you're going to talk about the book of 1 Peter to know who this guy is, Peter. And of course, he's one of the 12 that traveled with Jesus. And if he were to have a resume, this is how his resume, I believe, would read. First of all, his profession, he was before Jesus, what? He's a fisherman. Okay. Blue collar, hard worker, fisherman. His personality, if you could describe it, if you've all in your jobs taken these personality tests, how do you think Peter would fare in a personality test? Okay. First of all, he'd probably tear it up and throw it at the guy. But the one word would be what? Passion. Everything he did was about passion. Man, he just lived life full throttle, all in with every decision. I mean, half the time I know Jesus wanted to hug him, and the other half of the time I think the other 11 wanted to punch him in the face. He was that guy. I read a, a, a scholar, he said he'd added up all the questions of all the disciples, and Peter asked more questions that were recorded than the other 11 combined. So he's always talking to Jesus. He's always trying to find everything he can about life. We know about his meltdown. Three times he denied Jesus. But when we get to First and Second Peter, we're beginning to see a man who had an amazing comeback that he didn't give up. To the point that when he said, Jesus, I will die for you, he reached a point in his life that every day he was willing to die for Jesus. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, this book is estimated to have been written around 64 AD. Now, here, here's why that is so important. It's important because in Jerusalem, there was a, a leader by the name of Nero. And you know what Nero was doing? He wasn't just persecuting Christians. He was actually torching Christians. He would set stakes up. And to make an example of here's what happens if you follow Jesus. And that's the environment that Peter's writing from. In other words, every day that he penned these words, he realized this might be my last day on earth. So every word is dripped with this. There is hope. I would love for us to read this verse together. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you've got your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read this together. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about. The three ways that we can experience the living hope of Jesus Christ in our lives. First of all, we experience the living hope of Christ from the past witnesses. From the past witnesses. Just again, follow with me starting in verse 3. 
Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He's given us a new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation, what is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice that through a little while you have the uniqueness of faith a greater than gold. I love what it tells us in Revelation 12, 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And by their testimony. Here's what he's saying. Peter begins by saying, here's how you can develop a living hope in Jesus Christ. As hard as it is, start looking back and realize that there are past witnesses that were willing to die for Christ. There are those that gave everything they had. And when you get down, you can actually look back and you can treasure like gold those people who before you had an amazing example in their life. Doug Sanders, who oversees, uh, is one of our co-leaders with our prayer ministry, uh, a few weeks ago had a chance to go back to his home church they grew up in to preach. So he asked me, he said, is there, is there any advice you can give me? I thought that was cool that somebody actually wanted advice for me. So I said, yeah, here's the deal. I said, um, I went back to my home church. I'd been away about 10 years. Uh, here's a couple of warnings. Number one, don't start reminiscing too much. And don't talk too much about heaven or you're going to have a hard time getting through that. And he said, well, uh, you know, John, let's be honest. He said, you're, you're a crybaby. You know, you cry at Walmart openings. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you're that guy. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, but he did call me baby. But anyway, he said, no, no, I, I think I'm fine. I don't think that's going to be too emotional. Then he came back later and he goes, I did good for about the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then I looked up. He says, I don't know why, but I started thinking about Sunday school teachers. And I started thinking about people who believed in me. And I started th about thinking about people who were not here that were in heaven. And he said, man, it got really hard. It is hard. For you right now, when you start looking back in your life, I guarantee some of you are almost moved to tears when you think about the testimonies of others who have passed on that have laid the groundwork for your hope. That hope is real. Years ago, years and years ago, Billy Graham shared that one of the most dramatic events in his life is when he, as a child, stood in the room where his grandmother was dying. And he said, there she was in a, in a state almost like a coma, and all of a sudden she sat straight up and she called out to his grandfather, whose name was Ben. Now Ben, his grandfather, Billy Graham's grandfather, had actually been uh, wounded in the Civil War, had a leg blown off, and lost an eye. And when his mom sat up, she goes, Ben, you have both of your legs. You have both of your eyes. And then she died. And Billy Graham realized, don't tell me there's no hope in heaven. Don't tell me that life isn't restored. Don't tell me there isn't hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you have folks like that? That you look back and you're so thankful for what they have done for you. Psalms 116.5 says this, precious 
is the sight in the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious are those in the Lord's sight who have gone before us and given us hope. The second way that we experience living hope is this. It's the pursuit of holiness. Look at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have lived in, in ignorance. But just as you are called to be holy, be holy, for it is written, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Now, I want you to know why that is so important. That word holy means set apart. That means when you pursue Jesus Christ, and all of us want those days when we just need hope. He said, if you just keep every day pursuing Jesus Christ, what you're pursuing is holiness because you're setting yourself apart. You're saying, I want to be different. I don't mean weird, but I want to be different because Jesus Christ is my hope. But it's an everyday pursuit. There's a great book I would love for you all to order. It's a very simple paperback book, and it's called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And I just want to share briefly a couple of his words about this pursuit of holiness, because holiness gets a really bad, bad rap. Matter of fact, how many of you have ever heard this phrase? I want you to finish it with me. Oh, so-and-so. They are holier than... Yeah. Think about any time you hear the word in our culture, holy, it's always negative but it's such a positive, powerful word. Here's what Bridges said. On our worst days, we are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. So here's how we pursue holiness in our lives. Every day, measure your life to scriptural principles. And then number two, ask yourself, what steps of action do I need to take today to be more like Jesus? See, holiness is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow process. Can I make a confession to you this morning about when I accepted Christ and then one of my hardest battles? Because it was really hard for me not to be perfect. I mean, it really was, but I had struggled. So when I really surrendered to Jesus Christ, I was 16 years old. I was baptized when I was 11, but when I really got serious about it, I was at camp, and God broke me down when I was 16. And I remember when I got home, mom said, uh, so what, what now? Are you going to make some changes? And I'm like, well, what changes? And she said, well, you just take that up with God. Okay. Now, here's the deal. I never cussed in front of my mom, but once I got out of the house, man, I could cuss. I was really good at it. It was a spiritual gift. I had it. Now, I know, I know none of the guys here, none of you have ever had a problem with cussing, but I'm telling you, it is a process. It wasn't like a week later, you know, and I'm playing ball and I run over a guy and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm a little frustrated with you. You know, it was not, you know what I'm saying? It was still a battle. And I think sometimes people get so hung up, they're like, in this pursuit of holiness, man, I just don't know if I can keep it up. And I'm here to tell you, it is a process. We are striving every day to be like Christ. And Christ was what? He was holy. So we should pursue holiness. In 1985, 
Marie and I uh, came uh, to Sherwood Oaks, and we were the first, I think, full-time staff, and uh, we were serving as a youth ministry. And so, uh, man, I was just, uh, we didn't have kids, and we were just going crazy with activities and all that stuff. And so Tom, you know, called me into his office. Uh, I've spent a, <laughs> a little while in Tom's office over the years. Anyway, he <laughs> called me in. He said, I know you've got a lot on your to-do list, and I know the way you're wired, and that, honestly, we love that about you, that you know, you're going to get after it. We love that. But here's the deal. Do you know how long the average youth minister stays at a church? And I said, uh, no, I'm not sure about that one. He goes, 18 months. I'm like, is there something we need to talk about? You know, he said, no, no, I don't want you to stay here to 18 months. And I really want you to stay here for years and years so you can really build relationships with our kids. And I said, well, Tom, that's what I want to. He said, so, I want you to start taking some things off your list. And here's what I want you to add to your list. I want you to start a small group with young marrieds. And I'm like, I don't have time to get in a small group. And he's like, gosh, this is kind of funny. I thought, you know, I'm the boss and you're the, you know, I mean, it was, you know. But anyway, he said, I really want you to do this. You might even use the Sunday school hour to do that. And so Marie and I did. We started a young married Bible study and we were in, small groups literally all the way through our ministry at Sherwood Oaks. We still are in a life group. And I got to tell you, in this pursuit of trying to be like Christ, I can't imagine not sharing that with others in a small group environment. I seriously can't because there are times you just need to, to let down and let people know I'm really battling right now. Man, I'm really struggling in my faith. I'm really struggling in this area of my life. I'm really struggling. Maybe it's in marriage or a job you don't like, or, you know, sometimes, believe it or not, your kids get on your nerves, but it's great to have somebody on a regular basis helping you to pursue Jesus Christ. That's why today, I, I really don't want you to think of this as a church event. It's not what this is. Group link is just an opportunity for us as a congregation to go beyond the Sunday morning experience into actually living life with one another. So I really want to encourage you to just take that step. Last of all, this is so important, is number three is we experience the living hope of Christ in the living word of God. If you drop down to verses 24 and 25, I want you to hear what it says about life. Here's the perspective, and then here's the word of God. It says, here's what I know about life. The grass withers, except for the grass in Indiana right now, okay? The grass withers, but guess what? The flowers fade and they will fall, but the word of God, what? Endures forever. Would you say it with me? The word of God endures forever. And I love the way Peter puts that because he's, he's being brutally honest that this word is going to go through a very hard time. Because there's people that are going to do everything they can to eliminate this word. But you know what? This living word will endure. And at the very heart of this living word, you know what's there? Hope. From Genesis to Revelation, God just keeps saying, you want hope? Here it is. You need hope? Here it is. Just keep getting into the word. Because here's the thing we all know. We are obsessed with fads. Would you all agree with that? I mean, I don't know about you, but when you go to the grocery store and they got all these magazines, honestly, I'm like, I don't care. 
I mean, I honestly don't care. But we are obsessed with fads. Matter of fact, I heard a story about how crazy we are about fads, and some of you will remember when this took place in the 90s. There was a little bitty sitcom that got a lot of attention. And maybe you've heard of it. It's called Friends. Anybody ever hear of Friends? Anybody? If you didn't know Bob Hope, you've got to know Friends, okay? <laughs> Jennifer Ashton showed up, and the, her stylist, his name was Chris McMillan, and she said, hey, hey, let's try something new today. What she didn't realize is Chris McMillan was extremely drunk on that particular day. And so he just started cutting on her hair, and she looked in the mirror and nearly started to cry, and he gave her a round brush and a blow dryer and said, good luck. Do you remember that famous hairdo from Jennifer Ashton? Well, that's how it happened. It's a ridiculous fad. And that's what happens all the time. The world is so fragile because it pursues fads. And men are just as bad, are we not? Come on, guys, let's be honest. A uniform comes out. Did you see that new uniform? Oh, got to have that. You know, fantasy football? Are you kidding me? I mean, we all have this obsession to chase short-term fads. And here's what he says. Peter says, now listen, that's the way the world will always be. But this is the anchor. So this morning, I simply want to ask you, where are you? Did you come here this morning and you would do anything if you knew, if you knew that you could have the same faith as those men and women who have died before you? You'd do anything if you could have their hope and their faith. Or maybe you came here this morning and you'd do anything in this pursuit to be like Jesus Christ and you're you're desperately needing a community. We want to give you every opportunity to be a part of a smaller community. And maybe this morning you came in and you're like, man, I would love to get back into the Word of God. I'd love to do whatever it takes just to re-engage with the living Word of God because that's where I find my hope. I don't know where you're at, but I want you to know this. There is hope. There is hope. Let me pray for you. God, we come before you this morning. We surrender to you. We give everything to you. And Lord, all that you have done for us is you've given us love through your son and you've given us hope, not for a day, hope for the rest of our lives. And so Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that came here and life has been so difficult. And Lord, I thank you that they had the courage to just show up and thank you for the living hope that we have in your Son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.